Welcome to today's episode of Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. Today I was joined by Micah Peters and Ryan O'Hanlon to get into Serbia versus Switzerland, Brazil versus Costa Rica, and Iceland, Nigeria. We also talked about all the weekend's matches and previewed those and also got into a little bit of more of a state of the team thing with England, which was a pretty interesting conversation. Check out TheRinger.com where you can find a really cool article by Shakar Salman about why this is Belgium's best and last chance to win the World Cup. And of course, if you're an NBA fan, we've got you covered with the NBA draft. We did a three-hour live show last night. Uh, there's plenty of draft stuff to read on the site, and Draft Class has a podcast going up today. The 2018 uh, NBA Draft Debrief with Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Charks, and Danny Chow. Plus, Charks was on Bill Simmons's pod today talking draft. So tons of draft stuff, tons of World Cup. Let's get into Ringer FC. Hello and welcome to the Ringer FC. It's the Power Cube. Power Cube. <laughs> I am Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at theRinger.com. I'm joined by Micah Peters. Big mood. And Ryan O'Hanlon, the world's biggest Switzerland fan. I was not neutral today, guys. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's all about reputation for Ryan. We're going to get into Serbia, Switzerland. We're going to talk a little Brazil versus Costa Rica and a little bit of Nigeria and Iceland and then preview the weekend's matches. Guys, uh, there was a lot of turmoil in the room in which we watched Serbia, Switzerland. I didn't know that we all felt so strongly about these countries. Uh, I was very pro-Serbia. Ryan was very pro-Switzerland. But in the end, I think the, the deserved team won. Yeah. And uh, this deserved player got the glory. This perfectly smooth boy. It's perfectly smooth. <laughs> like Jordan Shakiri has creatine muscles is what I said earlier. The thing, I mean, this, this game sort of capsulates what's amazing about the World Cup. Uh, Granit Xhaka scores a goal from 30 yards out that he missed probably Hundreds 30 to 40 times. times this year for Arsenal. And Jordan Shakiri was the best player on one of the worst teams in the Premier League and looked like... Uh, the reincarnation of Diego Maradona, just with <laughs> and Maradona still living. Exactly, that's even more impressive. <laughs> um, I thought that this was a really good physical game. It was up and down, and as a lot of people have pointed out, it was kind of nice to see both teams making a run at the three points with twenty mm-hmm. minutes left, mm-hmm. still still going for the win. Um, Serbia, I think, probably is going to be one of the better teams that doesn't advance if they don't make it through to the knockout stages. Would you agree with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, they, like, it, it was an even, it was too, it was too, it wasn't a game that you could call until the last 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Switzerland sort of piled on the chances at the end. But Yeah, yeah. But I, I definitely think that this would be one of the stronger teams. I mean, well-organized, uh, very physical. I mean, Mitrovic being literally eight feet tall. <laughs> it, it seems like we have various teams that, are going to go out in the group stages that could have easily won Group A. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Serbia's, Serbia's won. You'd have to say that... Morocco. Morocco. I mean, even like Australia in Peru. some ways. I don't know if they would have won Group Group A, but they yeah. definitely would have been in the top two. It's a, t- it's a tough draw for some of these teams. Uh, Switzerland, how real are these guys? Uh, real enough to maybe make the quarterfinals. Okay. Is how I would describe it. I mean, they're... That game, you didn't really see their defensive solidity, I don't think, as much. They gave up a, a good amount of chances, a ton of shots. Um, but they just have, you know, they have a way that they approach the game. They press the ball a little bit. 
no one who's really terrible on the team. No, like to me, no. There's just, no. There's no one on the team that they have to hide. Like right. their glaring the, weakness the weak is link. like the yeah. guy up top. Which yeah. I think if you're going to have a weakness, in a way, that's the one to have because you know no name player can kind of luck into a couple goals. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what the situation is. I mean, I think they're... We're going to talk about Ahmed Musa. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they'll, they'll just be... A, they're not a fun team to play against. No, I guess not. And so then you've also got uh, Serbia probably not going through here because they're that they're competing with Brazil for that second spot. So they, it's probably... They have to beat Brazil to have a chance. I think I said during the Serbia-Switzerland match that I thought Serbia could do that, that they could beat Brazil. So let's talk about this Brazil-Costa Rica game, which was... Very, very, very tense mm-hmm. until stoppage time. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple of VAR co- uh, controversies, um, and the spotlight was really on Neymar, even though Coutinho is starting to own the Gotinho uh, nickname. <laughs> Coutinho was easily the best player on the field today. Um, Neymar starting to remind me a little A-Rod. I, I want you to dig into go this on. analogy yeah, a little bit more, on. because you said this earlier, and I need a, a, a more, you know... It's that he's here. got all the talent in the world, and I think he doesn't have the best instincts about how to when to display it and when to keep his head on straight. The uh, the flop he did that was reversed by VAR was one thing. Mm-hmm. You could make the argument that he, I mean, I, I think in slow-mo it looks worse than it was in real time, but the way he kind of like threw his hands at Navas when he was going through in the first half. Oh, you mean like it was kind of when it was in slow motion, he, it looked like he was trying to like threw his weight into yeah. yeah, you know. But I know that he wasn't. But I think that there's something you could kind of draw some conclusions about Neymar's career and the choices that he's made, like leaving Barcelona to go to PSG and now seemingly being disaffected at PSG. And I, you know, I can't remember which one of you guys pointed out to me that after the game, Neymar was was crying, you know, on the field, yeah, because of just. And you were talking about it because of it's like the tension and the pressure that he he feels as a Brazil player. Well, yeah, I mean, like it was also like after the first game, we we're saying that you know, Brazil was just kind of blustering and not actually as good as they may have seemed on paper, but it just turned out that Switzerland was defensively solid. Yeah. Also, there was just the way that his foot injury was being reported on was very strange. Mm-hmm. And there's just a, I mean, like you're, it's a, there's going to be a glaring spotlight on you when you're the, the, the second or third best player in the world. Yeah. But I also, have a lot of sympathy for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the guy got hacked to shit to in the first game against Switzerland. And it's it's just frustrating to play against... We had a great piece on the site earlier this week by Nico Morales about how it's just easier to be a competent defensive team. And so you have... Like, it's just super frustrating to play against a team like Croatia or Switzerland. And you can just see it in how the guy just starts crying after they beat Costa Rica. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's... The pressure that guys like Neymar, Messi, all of these guys, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's comparable to any other sport. Right. Because it it happens once every four years. So much of what happens in these games is out of your control. There's only seven games. It's not like an 82 NBA NBA game season where LeBron gets to rewrite his legacy essentially every season. It's imagine if they played the NBA finals every four years. Yeah, so nobody, you know, like, like nobody's the, really defining themselves as like, oh, clearly this is the upper echelon of yeah. players in the world, and they're playing that way in the World Cup, yeah. with the exception of Coutinho. Yeah, I mean, like at the risk of sounding overly dramatic, <laughs> it seems as though like the entire stadium or a country is kind of like 
holding their breath when you get that one time hit in the box and it just goes just over the crossbar. Like, yeah, and and Brazil still played well. Uh, they outshot. Costa Rica 22 to 3. In fact, Coutinho and Neymar outshot Costa Rica. Uh, and Neymar's goal, which was the latest recorded in a 90 minute World Cup match, wow, uh, actually puts him third behind Pele and Ronaldo as all time Brazilian scorers. So, like, I'm not questioning whether or not Bra- Neymar deserves to be thrown around like that. Yeah. I'm just saying that, like, he's got he, so far in his international career specifically, I feel like he's had a couple of moments like this where it's clear that the pressure is really getting to him in one of these big games. That flop was ridiculous. Yeah. No? <laughs> I mean, I... I obvi- it's clear the pressure is getting to him. I Flops, I mean, I don't... I don't I, I have stronger feelings about ankle stomping than flopping, and we never talk about that stuff. Um, yeah. You guys talked about it yesterday on the podcast. No, but I'm, yeah, but, in, but that's like, oh, Croatia is just a hard tackling team. It's that's that's like the dirtiest thing you can do. Flopping yeah. is like it's it was a sign of frustration. I hesitate to like draw anything of Neymar's psychology out of like what he did in a moment of okay frustration. Fair enough. Um, can we talk a little bit about Coutinho? Sure. Because he put on a masterclass today. Uh, six key passes, 92% success rate on his passes, six shots, four of them on target, 98 touches, which was like and third on the team. And he five-hold the keeper. And he five-hold mm-hmm. the keeper. He's scoring from outside the box. He's finishing in front of the box. Uh, it's it's disappointing as a Liverpool fan to watch this <laughs> happening because you can see him making the leap here. Um, and I'm very curious to see him next season on Barca without any S. What do you think of what you're seeing from him? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what Coutinho was last year before he got hurt. He was the best player in the Premier League. We knew he could do all of this. Um, kind of had a under-the-radar year at Barcelona because he struggled to get in the team at first, couldn't play in the Champions League. Their entire season was defined by them failing against Roma. Really had a great end to the season with Bar- Barcelona, but no one cared because they clinched the league in like October, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the other interesting thing about this. It's like, I get all the pressure Neymar feels, but he doesn't have to do it on his own. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the beautiful thing about this Brazil team and I, why I'm still so high on them. It's that they have guys like that who can also just win a game single-handedly. Yeah, you had yeah. them ranked number one in your power rankings. You also saw that G- Gabriel Jesus had, like, a world he called back, like, in yeah, the first yes. half. Like, yeah. it, it can the goals can come from anywhere. Well, and it was, this game to me... The overall stats are super lopsided. Brazil only had one shot on target in the first half. Then they brought on Douglas Costa, who, you know, one of the best sort of dribblers from deep in the world. Then Brazil just poured it on in the second half. And then they just bring on Roberto Firmino mm-hmm. off the bench, too. So it's like they ha- that's what they have in reserve. And um, I think it's frustrating definitely to watch the game and see the goals come at the end, but the balance of chances, the goals could have come way earlier. Oh, no, don't get feel. me wrong. I'm, I was I was impressed by them. Yeah. I thought that there was like four or five goals out there that, that on any other day might go in. I want to talk briefly, and you can't help but compare the two situations because they're such longtime rivals as Argentina and Brazil. And I know you guys talked about this yesterday on the pod, but when you think about... Ryan just brought up the depth that Brazil is bringing off the bench. Mm-hmm. Argentina had depth off the bench like, uh, yesterday. Yeah, but okay, the problem but- <laughs> was they just started the, be- the wrong way. Exactly. Players. I mean, like, don't start all the players from, um, and I'm not, I'm not talking down on the Argentine league, but don't start the players from River Plate and Boca Juniors yeah. when you have like Angel Di Maria and 
Paulo Dybala, one of the best attacking players on the planet, sitting on the bench right next to you when you can't create you, enough chances or get, or score any goals. You also saw today the way that the Brazilian players were celebrating with their manager Tite. Like yeah. Ederson basically tackled him when uh, the when the first Coutinho goal went in, and he helped him. Oh, up. And so then he helped good. him up. But it was just that that feeling of a connection between the players and the managers that's absent with Argentina and Jorge Sampaoli, right? Right. And I mean, then, like after the game, you had Conaguero uh, being like, you know, he can say whatever he wants about. You know, like what the situation yeah, is. Yeah, Sampaioli said something about like how Argentina wasn't buying into the project or yeah. something. Like there that. have been rumblings, nothing close to being confirmed, that the Argentina team is trying to oust Sampaioli before the third game, too. Who would take over? Uh, I think one of the assistants. <laughs> I mean, Maradona is there. Ascent- <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> He's that's what I, I think we said that His yesterday. Just is calm already. down, come yeah. down from the stands. I mean, Messi would probably just sort of. <laughs> I mean, he probably does already kind of decide things. And the other crucial difference, and I'm not blaming Messi for this, is when you watch Neymar, and Neymar has a lot of this pressure on him, a lot of the spotlight on him, and is getting hacked down. There are guys around Neymar who are ready to step up and take up the slack, and that's like, and that's what Coutinho did, and Argentina just hasn't had that. Well, Brazil has Coutinho run onto a ball and just slide it through the keeper's legs, and Argentina has Enzo Perez just side hit the ball into the side netting when the or net is completely open. Acuna doing like seven leg wiggles and a feint and right, then yeah. or crossing Dybala, it into or the first Dybala defender. Dybala saying, uh, it's so really it's pretty hard to play with Messi. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. You're on Juventus, bro. Like you have to be, it's just, this is the World Cup. Yeah, this but is, we should also, like the team Argentina did not, has not utilized their talent in a way that you would hope they would. A lot of people have said that these guys who were benched just don't play well for Argentina ever, so that's why they're on the bench. Mm -hmm. But it's like Brazil just has all of these guys entering into their primes Mm -hmm. in their attack, and Argentina, it's guys we've been talking about for 10 years now. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, like all the Brazil players are playing, are coming off of strong club seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So Brazil obviously likely to go through in Group E, probably along with Switzerland. Um, let's talk a little bit about Group D, which saw action between Nigeria and Iceland today, and a pretty complete, solid, and workmanlike. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow, uh, Nigeria win. Yeah, they definitely started to like smell blood after the restart and actually go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first <laughs> I can recall the last time. Nigeria had zero shots in the first half and 16 in the second half. I mean, and fucking, sorry, excuse me, Wilfred and Didi, like, smacking it from 30-plus, like, multiple times. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Argentina and Nigeria, turns out this is going to be probably the deciding bout for for this Group D uh, I don't want to belabor Argentina, and I especially don't want to give Nigeria their due, especially Ahmed Musa, who scored two goals, including the first one, which was, which was gorgeous. Uh, what do you think of the chances are for Argentina to get past Nigeria, or do you think that do you think that Argentina is like psychologically already like on the plane back home? Uh, I would say fifty fifty. Okay. So like that it's one team has Messi and the other one doesn't, but it's still 50-50, which tells you everything. <laughs> the only thing you feel passionately about is Switzerland football. Exactly. <laughs> if it was Switzerland, Nigeria, 100% Switzerland. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I would not hold out hope for an Argentina statement game. Yeah. Um, which, 
but still like just on quality alone, they should be able to eke out like a, a one goal win over Nigeria. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like, but they're just so vulnerable at the back and Nigeria is so good at countering. I just feel like this is Nigeria like a, is so good at countering. And on top of that, the, the collection of players they have, you know, you really don't know what you're getting from game to game. Like, yeah. I, it, it was also, you know, this Switzerland game today, the, uh, that Switzerland won was the first game in the world cup that someone had won from a losing position mm-hmm. actually. So it's, mm-hmm. it goes to show you that, I don't know whether you want to say like people are giving up. I wouldn't say that much, but you you guys hit on this yesterday with Argentina really just kind of like that second goal just broke them in half and that they yeah. were in no interest in defending that third goal, even though goal difference could wind up coming in to be a huge factor in advancement. Yeah, Nigeria's head went down after that first goal was scored in their first group game. And yeah. like it I, it really does matter who scores first in, in that Argentina-Nigeria game, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, we that... The result, Nigeria beating Iceland, was humongous for Argentina because now it's basically for them. It seems like if Argentina wins, they'll get through, and then they'll just get punted into outer space by France. (laughs) (laughs) Sixteen. Do you like what you're seeing from Nigeria so far this tournament? I think that they're always uh, there's a lot of goodwill towards them coming into tournaments. Then, and for the most part, like they can seem disorganized and maybe like. Uh, they don't have like their talent set up in the right spots, but this time it seems like a really nice mix of some veteran players and some of the younger guys. Yeah, I think they're okay. Um, the first half, whenever you don't get a shot on target in in a full half, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they just turned it on the second half and ripped open a defense that Argentina couldn't create really anything against. Um, the game against Croatia was. It, you could just tell that... That was one of your least favorite games of the tournament. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, they played Iannaccio in this game, Kelechi Iannaccio, who uh, I think I'm one of the few people who still thinks he's going to become a superstar, even though he can't get off the bench for Leicester. But his, his movement and just sort of uh, intelligence and space was huge for them today, I think. He's just a much better player than uh, Odia Nigalo. I, I, would, I just still want to see Nigeria with Ndidi... Alex Awobi and Dianacho all in the field the together because those yeah. are their fun players. So maybe maybe we'll get to see that against Argentina. I highly doubt it. But, I mean, they're a totally competent team is how I would describe them. It's, it's inspiring. Despite their <laughs> totally <laughs> confident. <It's true>. Uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, take a quick break, true, and then we're going to get right into the weekend preview. This is JJ Reddick here to talk to you about the JJ Reddick Podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Currently, I play in the NBA for the Philadelphia 76ers, but you may know me from my previous teams, the LA Clippers, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Orlando Magic, or from my college days at Duke University. Being a professional basketball player, I have a great opportunity to talk to a lot of interesting people, and the podcast is a place where I can share those conversations with you, the listener. On my show, I sit down with athletes, celebrities, and a variety of other special guests. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the JJ Reddick Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. All right, guys, let's talk about the weekend games. Uh, there's some really, really, really important matchups. And the one that really stands out on Saturday is Germany versus Sweden. It's a huge test for Germany, who got um, rocked against Mexico mm-hmm. in their opening match. It's a must win. Sweden's got three already, so they can't afford to fall behind here. And there have been, you know, you would hope that after a loss, teams teams rally around each other and say, okay, we're, we're, we're taking this tournament seriously now. It's not that they're not taking it seriously in Germany, but uh, it sounds like that locker room is really divided. The Guardian had a report today about there being two factions in the German locker room 
the Bling Bling Gang, which comprises. Uh, I can't believe they didn't come up with a better wow. term for that. Ozil, Mezzanozil, Sammy Kadira, Jerome Boateng, and Julian Draxer. That's the Bling Bling Gang. Anybody who wears moto jeans. Yes. And then the Bavarians. So which, anyone who's not eth- ethnically German. Yes. And, <laughs> and then the plus Bavarians. Draxler. Which is Cruz and and uh, Mueller, and uh, there was apparently one of the reasons why there's a little bit of tension between these two groups is that the bling bling gang are a little salty that the Bavarians didn't make a bigger play to manager Yogi Love to bring uh, Leroy Sané on the uh, with the team uh, to include him in the roster. Well, yeah, they could have. They definitely could have used him against Mexico. And, and there was a worry that Sané was going to be uncomfortable with his role as like a spot backup, like in getting twenty minutes here and there. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, like there was also that uh, reports about Matt's Hummels after Leroy Sané got, you know, dropped from the from the provisional roster, and he was just kind of like, "Yeah, you got to slow down, you know, like you're young, you know, like one of those things." And it's just kind of like, "All right, well, I'm also one of the most threatening attacking players when I'm like." Streaking down yeah, the sideline, like shot out of a yeah. rocket launcher. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, though, it shouldn't. That shouldn't make that much that big of a difference. The it's, tension. Well, I mean, the, the Leroy Sané thing. Oh yeah, he's very good. But but like, this is Germany we're talking about. But this, at the same time, like, I think it's easy to sort of create that sort of divide. But Hummels sort of aired out Joachim Lowe after yeah. they lost to Mexico. Said that he always talks internally about how they sacrifice the balance of the team for the attack and is worried about exactly what happened against Mexico. And he was like, but no one ever listens to me. Well, yeah, he's going to have plenty of time to talk to himself. I mean, he, he's, he's supposed sitting to, out yeah, the he's, next game uh, with is, a neck injury. Mario Gomez is reportedly replacing Timo Werner, who is my breakout player of the tournament pick before the <laughs> tournament. Uh, Jonas Hector is coming in. And so all are, the old dudes are yeah. <laughs> coming in. And Great. there are rumors that Marco Royce could move into the starting 11 for Draxler, which means one down for the bling bling gang no. um this is not very inspiring stuff from germany heading into this match against sweden but i wouldn't be surprised if they go out and win three nothing yeah i mean it's just again the overwhelming quality thing there's there's no there's nothing that they really need that they don't have yeah i mean i switzerland i don't think is just they're just not a very good de- team sweden they're sweden sorry switzerland's obviously the best team in the world cup <laughs> we've been over that um they are a very slow attacking team, um, rank like very near the bottom of the standings in the number of direct attacks per game they create, which is just attacks with a certain a threshold for the number of passes. And the direct attacks are what destroyed Germany against Mexico. So I think this is uh, an elimination game for Germany. If they lose, they're out. They're done. If they tie, they have a hope. They have a hope, but still, it doesn't look great. Um but I, I, I just don't think I don't see Sweden as the team to punish them. Basically, they're on the ropes and can easily get knocked out. But it's like Sweden. Sweden is definitely hands not are tied be behind their back because yeah. Zlatan's not here. <laughs> so Sweden's on three points. Mexico on three points. Germany on zero with a negative one goal differential, and they'll be trying to climb back up into the top two. There. Uh, any other games on Saturday that you guys want to highlight? I mean, it'll be interesting to see Mexico if they can kind of just keep going. Ride the wave, yeah. Um, especially against a team that doesn't seem to have any interest in ever attacking, as opposed yeah. to the it's kind of the opposite right. of what Germany so did. Is Mexico mm-hmm. designed to be a counter team, rather. What are they going to do in possession? Although we've heard that Juan Carlos Osorio sort of had a very specific plan for each team, which I personally made fun of before the tournament, but after it was Worked. perfect against yeah. Germany, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was going to say it's it's. Pr- 
you know, too bad you'll never manage Mexico, but Mexico moves through managers fast enough that you could be on some list somewhere. I'm, I'm sure I'm in the top 100. <laughs> <laughs> Belgium and Tunisia also play tomorrow. Uh, that'll be another interesting test of hipster champions, Belgium. And then uh, Group G also sees England and Panama play on Sunday. But Sunday's a really interesting match to me, at least. And uh, I hope they show up is two of our pre-tournament darlings, Colombia and Poland. And this is one of those winner-go-home matches. And even if you win, there's no guarantee that you're going anywhere afterwards. Japan and Senegal will play uh, over the weekend as well. But Poland and Colombia were two teams that we had tipped to be contenders in this in this uh, tournament. Mm-hmm. And we were disappointed by both, especially Colombia. Is James playing in this game? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed by Poland. Uh, they barely created anything other than that one free kick um, against Senegal. The... Lewandowski Milik center forward pairing uh, didn't work because they're both designed to be lone strikers who don't yeah. combine with other players and then they just they I think they completed one pass between the two of them. Colombia it's we can't grade the team as far as I'm concerned. You get a red card in the first 5 minutes the game is sort of unanalyzable yeah, and not I really think, like anything that I I have no idea what a good Columbia showing would look like, or a bad one. It's just kind of like you have to re you have to rearrange everything, right? yeah. Because <laughs> especially because Hamas didn't play, and if anything, I think you could look at Columbia and be like, they fought back, got a goal, kind of held Japan off for a little bit. It wasn't a bad man down performance, but that doesn't tell you anything. I I, I think Columbia wins this easily. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I would say so. I I agree with that because it was remarkable how ineffectual Poland was against Senegal. Yeah, and Senegal kept breaking like with fast breaks. They didn't yeah. create a ton of amazing chances, but you can just see James getting the ball in space and just Yeah, I mean like Poland was routinely undone by one or two incisive passes. Yeah, and guess who the most incisive passer in this group is? James. <laughs> right. James. Um any other games on Sunday that you wanted to highlight? Um, let's see. Japan, Senegal, right? I mean, Japan, Japan, Senegal, Senegal would be exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really good time watching Japan uh, in their first game. I, I hope. I, I mean, I wouldn't. It would be kind of exciting if Japan and Senegal went through from uh, from Group H. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way that they're benefited from t- drawing. Um, not that I think they're going to come into the game negatively, but I mean, I just want to see Senegal. I just want. I like if I, I want to see more t- of them. I don't it, exactly. They. I mean, I love their manager. They're, you know. Pretty much every African team has a European coach at this point. Mm-hmm. All you see says from Senegal. Their entire backroom staff are all African. Um, I heard this earlier. He's only the seventh black manager in the history of the World Cup, Jesus. which is just insane and kind of despicable considering the makeup of most of the players in the World Cup. So I just, I just, and I, I like the guy. The team was really organized, I thought, against Poland and just had a really smart plan. Um, Extremely gifable, also on the <laughs> sideline. Very true. Um, so I, I mean, it'll just. I'm interested to see Senegal throughout the tournament. We Hopefully. probably won't record a podcast before England plays again on Monday, or the pod, next podcast will Sunday come after. Oh, they play on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah. Oh, well, Sunday. then we won't record a podcast before England plays. So let's talk a little bit about England, who made number three in your confidence rankings. Yeah. Uh, Ryan published confidence rankings, uh, World Cup po- confidence rankings on the Ringer.com this week uh, on Thursday night, right? So Thursday afternoon, Thursday afternoon. So they didn't take into account Friday's games. Would your confidence rankings have changed at all after what you saw today? Switzerland number one, Brazil number two now. <laughs> Switzerland mm-hmm. one, 
everyone else 32 and below. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, we did it based on the top 10 that we had pre-tournament and how we felt about them now. Um, I had Brazil number one today. Makes me feel better about Brazil because they won after drawing their first game. Um, I just loved England's game against Tunisia. Created an insane number of chances in the first half, both from open play and really smart set pieces. Gave up a terrible penalty, a bad penalty, and then didn't create much in the second half, but stuck with the system that they came into the game with and eventually um, dug it out at the end. I think on another day, that game is four or five nothing. Are you more impressed right now with England after one game than France after two games, Micah? Uh, Ryan had France number four and England number three in his rankings. I'm am I'm still more impressed by I'm still more impressed by France just because of what they might be capable of. I mean, like just because of their depth and the fact that if Didier Deschamps chooses not to play negatively in the next round, mm-hmm. I think that this France team is could blow anyone away on a given day. I don't have the same feeling about England, although I definitely am more confident in the England team after their first game than I was when they came into the tournament. And England is going to, apparently, there are rumors that uh, Gareth Southgate thinking about dropping Raheem Sterling for Marcus Rashford. Uh, Steve Holland, mm-hmm. one of the assistant coaches on England, was photographed like a piece of paper in his hand. Uh, great, great history of people in England being photographed with pieces of paper on the <laughs> sidelines or yep. around practice pitches. Shout out to Paul Ince writing the word shoot on a notebook <laughs> uh, when he was managing, I think, Blackburn. But, um, you know, right now in England, that's being treated as Gareth Southgate's great meritocracy, that Rashford's just outperforming Sterling uh, in his time on the pitch and on the practice pitch. Do you agree with this move? And do you think that like a loss for England just immediately turns the tables on Southgate? I think I'd like to address the meritocracy thing in that Sterling has had more assists and goals this season than Rashford has had in his entire career. So if it was a real meritocracy, you wouldn't be overreacting to 40 minutes. Um, But I, I honestly, I don't, I don't see Sterling not playing the big games for England still. I think Panama's just not a good team, and I think there's an argument to be made for a, a little bit of rotation, yeah, probably. For sure. Although I would maybe argue to, it looks like the benefit is going to, like the better draw is going to be for the team that comes in second in this group. Um, so maybe rotating against Belgium um, would be kind of the savvier play, but I it's really hard for me to believe that Sterling... Uh, is not like, uh, doesn't st- on the field from the start. I mean, he, the, the guys yeah. legitimately a superstar in England don't have that many superstars. Yeah, that's true. Uh, how are you feeling about England's chances? Do you feel like they're uh, against Panama? Obviously, we expect them to win. Yeah. But it's it's sort of like what they did by like making this generational changeover. It feels like they're moving. To, they, they've bought themselves a lot of like benefit of the doubt because they are playing younger players. Mm-hmm. I mean... If we're talking about Panama, I do think that it'll be like I'm almost predicting like a Workman like one or two a win. But I mean, like if they do manage to take care of business in that game, I'm very confident about them moving on to like maybe I don't know. I still feel like this ends in quarterfinal tragedy for this team maybe but quarterfinal tragedy for a group of young kids is not as big of a deal as like if it is for Lampard and Gerard and just like the, the ruin of a golden generation right yeah yeah I would I, th- I think they could go beyond the quarters um and I think we're seeing with England when you compare it to Germany compared to Argentina you just need a bunch of good 
really good 25-year-olds. Like, that's kind of how you win the World Cup. Yeah. And yeah. Germany had that last World Cup. You talked about that in your conference rankings. And now the they disparity yeah. in age that they've got right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I mean, they I, have I, Sammy Kadir being a box-to-box midfielder yeah, well, looking we, like food. I think one misconception with soccer is what a player's peak is, mm-hmm. which is somewhere between 25 and 28. Um, so like once you turn 29, you're probably going to get worse unless you're, I mean, even Messi and Ronaldo have gotten worse from a production level. They're still the two best players, but like they were scoring 50 goals in La Liga seasons, you know, five years ago. So I think you just, you want the majority of your team in that 24 to 28 year range. Mm -hmm. I know that, that seems like, oh, this guy's just getting started, but that's like, that's when those guys are at their peak in a weird way. All right, well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Ryan, Micah, and Donnie will be back with you on Monday. Uh, Until then, enjoy the World Cup over the weekend. 